Hey, Love Tribe. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my personal favorites, Cozy Earth. They've got something special for all the mothers out there. So anyone who wants to shower the special woman in their lives with love and the comfort they deserve, listen up. Hands down, Cozy Earth has the best sheets, bedding, pajama sets, and more. So today, I'm excited to share that Relationship Advice listeners get an exclusive 35% off discount. Simply go to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do at checkout. The first time I tried their bamboo sheets, I was blown away. The comfort level is insane. I just love slipping into their seriously soft and cool sheets after a long day. And for a mom who knows that the struggle of sleep deprivation is real, Cozy Earth's temperature regulating technology has been a lifesaver. No more waking up sweating or freezing. But what really sold me is the quality of the bamboo sheets. They are by far the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept in. They are made to last years, which they have. I think at this point, I have about six sets of them. And they have a 100-night sleep-free trial and a 10-year warranty. So you know you're getting something that is going to stick around. So if you're ready to prioritize your sleep health and treat yourself or the mom in your life to the luxury she deserves, head on over to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code IDO for an exclusive 35% off. Because every mom deserves a good night's sleep, and with Cozy Earth, you can finally get the rest you need. Let's talk about a struggle many of us know all too well losing weight. Remember those days when everyone was on a juice cleanse or just basically hangry all the time? That was no fun for anyone. Well, there's a better, more sustainable way to shed those pounds. Today, I want to introduce you to Row Body. It's not your typical weight loss program. Instead of all the gimmicks, they offer access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. But here's the real deal. They pair these shots with simple lifestyle changes, helping you lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Plus, over 200,000 people have already seen results with Robody. So what sets Robody apart? The support. They handle all the insurance stuff for you and give you access to a provider whenever you need them. And the best part, you can sign up online from home, no doctor's appointments and no waiting rooms. Say goodbye to those days of hangry juice cleanses. With Robody, losing weight is straightforward and sustainable. Take that first step today and say hello to a healthier, happier you. Kickstart your weight loss journey the right way and head to ro.co slash do. That's ro.co slash I-D-O. Sign up today for just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Remember, medication costs are separate. That's row.co slash I do. I do podcast episode 26. Welcome to IDoPodcast.com, where fun and inspiring relationship experts, therapists, and couples share tips and advice that will help lead you to a fulfilling and happy relationship. Let their guidance illuminate your path to happiness. Are you ready to create lasting love? And now, your hosts, Chase and Sarah. Do you have a topic that you'd like to hear more about or a relationship question you'd like answered? Email us at info at idopodcast.com and we'll be sure to add it to one of our upcoming episodes. We're very excited to introduce our guest today, Richard Greenberg. Hey, Richard. Hey, how are you? Uh, We're doing excellent. Thank you. Great. Happy to be here with you. Richard Greenberg is a happily married father of four and the author of Raising Children That Other People Like to Be Around. A native of Los Angeles, Richard graduated from UCLA with a bachelor's degree in English and shortly after married his childhood sweetheart, Joanne. After more than 30 years working in the entertainment industry and studying the dynamics of his own family, Richard wrote Raising Children That Other People Like to Be Around. Richard's book humorously and practically guides parents towards improved communication and common sense guidelines for people creating their own families. 
We've given our listeners just a little overview, so take a minute, tell us about yourself and why you enjoy helping people improve their relationships. Well, I get great happiness from my relationships, so, you know, I I really believe that uh, it's only right to try and help people improve their own. And like my parenting book, my attitude about relationships is pretty much common sense based, and that makes it something that's fairly easy to communicate for me. And, you know, there's a classic line, uh, if, if relationships were easy, everybody would have a good one. Yep. <laughs> but, you know, we, we do need to work at them, and uh, there's a lot that goes into having a very happy and successful marriage. But, but the real part of that that's significant is it doesn't really feel like work. It just means paying attention from my point of view. So, you know, one of the biggest aspects of having written a book about raising children is that raising children is something that is most often done by couples and parents. And one of the most important things in the process of raising your children is having a good relationship. So even though one might think that a book about parenting would be about the children, in fact, my book about parenting is about the parents and the adults and what their relationship is with each other and how they're modeling that relationship so that when their children grow up, they'll be able to also have loving relationships. Absolutely, and that's a great point, and that'll lead us right into our topic today of the five things every husband and father should know. And I'm not a husband or a father yet, but I think myself and definitely our listeners will be able to get a lot of great advice from you. Well, you know, these five things were just some some observations I had that were a result of having lived with my wife for 30, well, lived with her for 40 years and known her practically my entire life. And I would say that in our very, very early days, um, literally when we were seven years old, I, I, she caught my eye because some bully had pushed her off a slide at school and broken her wrist, and she was about three feet tall, and she had her wrist in a cast, and it, it took up like half her body, and I just saw this little wounded bird, and I, you know, I guess I fell in love with her at that point. But we went steady in the sixth grade where, wow. you know, you have, you have a relationship that is kind of like, hey, what, what do you think of that skateboard? And then, yeah. you know, we sort of uh, went our separate ways all through high school, uh, didn't see each other through all those years, and then ran into each other in college. And it was kind of in college that um, we were both a little more ready to settle down. She had had a long-term boyfriend, and I had had a number of relationships, you know, starting probably my junior year of high school, maybe my senior year. And so, you know, we had all, we had both been out sort of in the market and feeling our way around. And um, I think when we came together, we both had this attitude that was, hmm, I'm very comfortable with this person, not only because we have all this history, but just because we share certain values with each other and we're enamored with each other. And as we went through that process, um, you know, you just begin to learn how to train each other. And, you know, I, I know it sounds like a country western song, but I really believe that having a relationship is about learning what hurts, trying not to do things that will hurt the person you're in love with. And we all have these hairs on the back of our necks that are, you know, I know that if I decide to stay out later with my buddies, this is going to be the cause for a conversation with my wife. Uh, or my girlfriend, <clears throat> what what is that worth to me? You know, that signal, over time, you develop an ability to read that signal inside yourself and then to decide how you want to deal with it. And in some cases, it may have led to a conversation with your girlfriend or your wife and in which you say, I'm, you know, there's a reason I like to stay out with my buddies and that person's understanding, and then there's no more need for that anxiety unless you start to abuse those things. So anyway, that's, you know, in, in this discussion of what every husband and father should know, you know, you have to look at these elements that are part of the bigger picture, which is that women think differently than men. That's probably mm-hmm. the, the first thing to recognize. <clears throat> and then what, what, are, what are my wife's values? What's important to her and what's important to me? And how can I learn to embrace the things that are important to her? And then, you know, basically, um, do we treat each other well? Do we promote our relationship with each other? Um, 
do we expect each other to change without expressing a desire for that? Um, and then ultimately, like, what is the nature of monogamy? How important is it in this relationship for us to be faithful to each other? And I think that hitting those sort of points helps one get their way, wind their way through creating and holding on to a successful relationship. Well, that's great. And I love how you just kind of recapped those five things that really will help husbands and fathers. And kind of going back to really that first one is there's a bigger picture. And in your article, you have a a funny story that can kind of show off that there is a bigger picture. And I would love it if you'd share it with our audience. Right. Well, you know, basically, uh, my wife and I were out to dinner, and we'd been married a few years, and I had learned not to ogle women when I was with my wife, because that hurt her feelings. So, you know, basically, I stayed as cool as possible, but this woman walked in, and she was just this knockout, beautiful girl in some revealing outfit, and it was like a red dress, and it was like, I couldn't help but notice, but I wasn't going to make it obvious to my wife that I noticed. And so we had our meal and everything, you know, proceeded according to plan. And we were in the car on the way home. And I said, uh, so did you uh, see that woman who came into the restaurant in the red dress? And my wife looked at me and she said, did you see her shoes? <laughs> and I said, like, her shoes? No, I, I didn't notice her shoes. And she said, well, you know, she was wearing open-toed shoes with sandals. I mean, you know. Any woman who knows anything about fashion is not going to do that. And in that moment, I learned two things. I learned women are evaluating each other on a completely different level than men evaluate women. And I should learn something about shoes because my wife was paying attention to the shoes that that person had on, and that hadn't even crossed my mind. So, you know, basically... For me, that was a kind of wake-up call to, hmm, so there's this billion-dollar industry of fashion and fashion magazines, and I happen to be married to a woman who is captivated by that stuff, not in that she's a consumer and that she needs to be the fanciest or have the best, but she just likes to look at that the way I like to watch sports. So I have to allow that into my consciousness as a good husband as something that matters in our relationship. I can't just say, oh, who cares about fashion? It's completely unimportant. You know, you can just take care of your own business and watch Project Runway and, you know, have your own interests. Because for me, it's kind of fun. I can share some of her interests about that and certainly watching something like Project Runway, which, you know, many males would think is not a very masculine thing to do. Uh, is something that we end up doing and enjoying and laughing about. And it opens up my consciousness and it gives us something that we're doing together. And by the way, a lot more men watch Project One Runway, <laughs> Runway than you would know. It's a great show. <laughs> it, it is. It, it's like one of the best competition shows ever. Yeah, it's, it's like sports. That, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's astounding to me that those people can do that. And the, the whole sort of bitchy component and the back talking and the, yeah. oh, that person, you know, that's sort of the, the, the drama of it. And I love the music is very dramatic. But at the end of the day, usually the best designer has really earned that spot and they don't often make the wrong choices. So, you know, from my point of view, and this isn't supposed to be a, a big promo for Project Runway, <laughs> it's a very enlightening thing for me to do with my wife and my daughter. We now, you know, we have an 18-year-old daughter who is now away at college. But, you know, it's something that we can all talk about and have a common interest about. So really, I guess that the the issue of that bigger picture is that, you know, you be aware of the things that your mate is interested in and try not to be too selfish about what matters to you in your life because other things matter to everybody has things that matter to them. Absolutely. And I love how you broke it down and then gave the specific example of uh, how that happens in your life. And that leads us into embracing the differences in each other. Right. And, you know, it's funny. uh, When Joanne and I first started going out, um, we were we made a decision to live together. And there were a couple of things that were funny that happened around that. But the most significant one was that she said, I think we should go see a therapist and sort of get our stuff out on the table. So we went to a therapist who was very cheap. It was like a public service therapist. And uh, we sat down and the therapist said, okay, we're going to go two hours. We're going to spend an hour on Joanne and we're going to spend an hour on Richard. And at the end of that, I'll summarize everything. 
So we spent the hour on Joanne, we spent the hour on Richard, and the therapist, you know, at the end, she said, okay, so Joanne, you know, just because your father is a powerful executive uh, doesn't mean that you deserve everything in the world. And I was like, yes, (laughs) somebody's listening. And then she looked at me and she said, and Richard, I'd like to see you twice a week. (laughs) So, you know, basically one of the first things you have to uh, recognize in any relationship is that nobody in that relationship is perfect. And both of you are going to come to the relationship with your own stuff. And some of that stuff is important and some of that stuff is completely unimportant. And you can work your way through those sort of, you know, uh, sanding off those rough edges with each other. So, you know, in, in the embracing of differences, you know, the example I give in my article is that uh, I've played softball for 40 years. I, you know, aside from the fact that I play the game and I know how it works, it's, it's a wonderful experience for me. I do it with my friends and now our sons play, um, and in some cases daughters play. But, um, you know, mostly I spend my time doing that, and I know that game cold. Well, my wife, as I mentioned earlier, is very much about fashion and very much about knowing how things look, and she would be an excellent personal stylist for somebody. You know, when we were young, there was no stylist job, but today there are people who make a living helping other people find the right clothes for their body type or their look, and that's something my wife would be really good at. Um, so, you know, when, when she goes shopping, she has the same level of expertise in a store that I have on a softball field. And so when I go shopping with her on those rare occasions that I have enough patience, um, I will just find a chair and watch her shop. And when I find my chair and I watch her shop, I just get great pleasure in her ability to get from like a dressing room where she's taken something to try on to the mirror. And in her transference from that dressing room to the mirror, she has managed to like put everything in exactly the right location, (laughs) up up the collar, pull out the waist, you know, just get it right. And when she hits that mirror, it's going to look exactly like it would look if she were wearing it that night to a party. And then it's like, yes, no, done. And then she can also return anything, even if she doesn't have a label. She just knows the game. She knows the game of shopping the way I know the game of softball. And so I can respect it. I don't, you know, this takes us to sort of another point, which is I don't criticize the fact that she likes to shop in the same way that she doesn't criticize that I like to play softball. These are sort of endemic parts of our personalities that we recognize and respect about each other. And, you know, I could be a husband who resents that his wife shops and spends money, and she could be a wife who resents that her husband is away from her and playing sports with his idiot buddies. But the fact is that early in our relationship, she once said to me, I hate it when you play softball because it's like you don't want to be with me. And I ended up saying to her, it has nothing to do with you. My wanting to be with my friends isn't about not wanting to be with you. It's about wanting to be with this group of people who, when I'm with them, all life is transcended. We are playing softball. We are not thinking about anything else. We're not thinking about our businesses. We're not thinking about our clients. We're not thinking about our kids. We're playing softball. And so that's another element of that process that is understanding that each of our interests aren't about excluding the other. They're just about what we get out of that interest, which is valuable to our development as individuals in the relationship that is the synchronization of those two individual personalities. I love it. And I love that you use uh, shopping and, and softball, things that people can really relate to uh, in, in really determining that there are differences in the couple or in the uh, in the two of you and how to resolve that. So it's great. And really the next thing you talk about is think of your mate as you do yourself. Right. Well, you know, this is a really important part um, of having a good relationship, I think, is that you... You have to respect that the person you're with is worthy of your respect and you're worthy of theirs. And, you know, the story I tell in the uh, blog post is that uh, we were out with another evening, a couple one evening, and the guy who I thought was hilarious, you know, made a lot of jokes at his wife's expense and 
you know, did a lot of stuff, and he sort of implied that she was stupid. And in the car, once again, the car is a place where a lot of conversing happens when you live in Los Angeles. In the car, <clears throat> you know, we were talking about the couple, and my wife said, well, you know, he treats his, his wife like she's stupid, and <clears throat> she isn't stupid. But if you think about it, the fact that he he's willing to say he married somebody who's stupid means that he must think he's kind of stupid. I mean, why would you marry somebody <laughs> yeah. who is stupid if, if you characterize them that way? So, you know, basically, you have to kind of look at your, your mate as a person who is a reflection of you. And in that regard, I think you have to be proud of them and you have to help them be a better version of themselves. Um, and I think that when you think of them as you do yourself and you try to remove your ego from situations, uh, it's much easier to navigate your relationship. I find that a lot of people, you know, if you speak to me like that, I will, you know, never listen to you again. That just puts up a, a, a border, a boundary, and, and starts creating sort of these communication things. Uh, there are a lot of tricks we do when we're arguing with each other that sort of distract from what the real issue is. One of those is don't speak to me in that tone of voice. It's kind of like the tone of voice has nothing to do with the message that I'm trying to convey. And if you can get past this tone of voice, which I will try and change, you know, whatever it is that I'm doing that's making you not hear my message, I will adapt that. But you should also take for granted that the tone of voice is just coming from a different place in me. What I'm really trying to do is communicate this simple message. Then I think you can make much more headway in communicating uh, and in basically uh, offering sort of not getting distracted in the way you feel about your mate. That I think that it has to be, you know, you have to concentrate on the positives in that relationship and concentrate on encouraging each other rather than putting each other down or criticizing each other. That's a great specific example of how to better communicate with your partner, which we all know is such an important part of any relationship. Yeah, I, I you know, I really think it comes down to being open <laughs> to learning about yourself. Uh, I think that that's a very important thing to do. That sort of brings us to the fact that once you have learned about yourself and you know certain things about yourself and you've learned those same kind of things about your mate, I don't think you can count on them changing. You know, this is the next stop, which is that people don't change. So, you know, I have to assume that for everything that my wife does that drives me crazy, there's probably something I do that drives her crazy. And in our case, it was, you know, from my point of view, I used to be really upset that she would leave the butter out. I grew up in a house where if you took the butter out of the refrigerator, you would take the butter out, you would use it for its purpose, and then you would immediately put it back in the refrigerator. You would never leave the refrigerator door open. You know, I grew up in a very strict household that, you know, about butter. We were very strict about butter. <laughs> and, um, and you know, Joanne didn't necessarily grow up in a house that, that was similar to that. So, you know, she would leave the butter out and it would drive me crazy. Now I just put the butter away. You know, I don't let it drive me crazy anymore. I'm not trying to teach her to put the butter away. All the things that it symbolizes for me, are they just don't matter. It's just easier for me to put the butter away. There's a very funny uh, thing that I've just learned from Joanne, which was that my mother had this pet peeve that was I would step out of my clothes in my room and I'd leave them on the floor. And she said to my wife when we got married, I can't believe you can live with him. He just leaves his junk on the floor. He just leaves his underwear on the floor. It's just, he's such a slob. And Joanne was like, well, it's not really a problem for me. I'm not, I don't let that bother me, which by the way, it drove my mom crazy, but it didn't seem to bother Joanne. So, you know, after my mother passed away, which was a two or three years ago, three years ago, um, you know, I noticed that my underwear was staying on the floor more often than it used to stay on the floor. And I said to Joanne, what, you know, what's the story? I mean, I, I, we now equal, you know, we clean up when we clean up. Sometimes I pick it up, sometimes I don't. But I noticed that there was never a time when she was picking up my underwear. And I said, hey, what's going on? I, I noticed you never clean up. If I leave my clothes on the floor, you never pick them up. She said, it's my tribute to your mother. I am not going to pick up your clothes, you know, because I want you to remember her. And it lets me remember that I'm doing something in her memory, which is not enabling your slop, you know, slobbiness. 
So, you know, these things that we don't, that we recognize with each other can be turned into, you know, positive things rather than criticisms like, oh, God, you never pick up your clothes. You piss me off. I can't stand living in this pigsty. And it's like, we have the same tolerances. We, you know, I don't like dirty dishes as much as she doesn't like dirty dishes. And, you know, I wash the dishes when I wash them and she washes them when she washes them. And we don't let those arguments turn into major cracks in our relationship. And I think that that's a really important thing to do is to look at in the perspective of what the things you argue about, look at those and say, is this really worth the argument? You know, what, what, what is the true value of putting away the butter? How much does it really matter? How much does it really matter if I pick up my underwear? So, you know, and by the way, Ever since she said that, now I sort of chuckle when I pick up my underwear. I just go, yeah, I guess you're right. You know, I'll, I'll, and so I, I pick up my underwear in tribute to my mother, which is a funny thing. But, you know, old dogs can learn new tricks. And it's almost like you need to, you need to pick your battles and, and not nitpick on the little things. Don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Uh, and those are, you know, there's a reason that those are good cliches is because they really do mean something. But, you know, the the key is to try and apply them to what you do every day so that you can understand that, you know, not putting the butter away is not sweating the small stuff. That's small stuff. I mean, the, the tagline on it, that is, it's all small stuff. And it is all small stuff. But for a person who's engaged in an angry uncommunicative, selfish relationship, uh, you know, a lot of this advice they will look at and say, well, I, I just can't even, I can't fathom having that conversation. And I think the key is that you really have to evaluate what part of of the the communication you're dealing with is being controlled by your ego and what part of it is really meaningful. And so, you know, when when you're taking things personally and you've begun to embody this anger and it starts to take over you and when that happens by the way you only notice the underwear on the floor or the butter out of the refrigerator it's like you can't help but notice it um then you need to do something to diffuse that situation and usually and i believe i believe the case is that the best thing you can possibly do is to talk about it and if you don't see a change in the person's behavior because they're willing to respect that that bothers you, then you have to evaluate whether or not the relationship is has got the strength to continue because the, the glue that holds it all together is that mutual respect and mutual concern. Absolutely. And I want to get to the the bottom line of a relationship that you talk about is fidelity and why that's so important. Well, I think that that's a trust issue. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a trust issue. And, you know, what I wrote in the article was when we very first started dating, um, you know, I had had a number of relationships and I fancied myself a pretty cool guy. And Joanne was this, you know, beautiful woman um, who had had one long, very serious relationship and was you know, just a very faithful sort of person. But she knew that she was attractive and there were men hitting on her all the time. And at some point she said, you know, I, I must have expressed sort of the frustration or, you know, the quid pro quo of my remaining faithful with her and saying, well, you know, it's work for me to be faithful to you. And at some point she said to me, well, you know, you, you don't have to be faithful to me. You can go out with whoever you want to go out with. You can sleep with anybody you want to sleep with. And I was like, really? And she said, <laughs> Well, yeah, as long as I can, because, I mean, that's only fair, right? And it was kind of like, well, gee, you know, I do fancy myself as a fair person. I don't think it's legitimate to have a double standard that allows men to cheat on their wives and wives to not have relationships outside their marriage with their husbands, you know, with, with anybody else. So the point for me was, well, if I'm going to live, you know, this life that, in which I preach fairness, then I better be ready for the what's good for the goose is good for the gander mentality. And that was a very interesting kind of position for her to take because as opposed to the position that is, don't, don't you do that? You know, if you do that, I'll never be see you again. Or she just sort of went with the opposite, which was full on self-confidence. You know what? As many people want to sleep with me as want to sleep with you. In fact, probably more because there are men out there who are crazy. So her position and that level of sort of comfort and self-confidence was 
attractive to me, and it was, in a very male way, a very logical tool for me to be able to use to say, ah, this is why I don't cheat on my wife, because the fact is that it's wrong, and if I'm able to do it, I would give her the green light to do it, and frankly, I don't want to let her do it. Now, in all candor, you know, when we were very early in our relationship, uh, you know, there was an episode where she sort of determined that I had had some sort of relationship with another girl, and she went out and, and did the same thing to me with the guy, and it was kind of like, okay, we've hurt each other, now let's concentrate on what matters to us. So, you know, that that getting that out of the way and understanding that we were connected to each other and we're going to remain connected to each other, I think became a very big part of the strength that our relationship has, which is why I characterize fidelity as being the bottom line, that, you know, we don't talk about divorce. There is no escape valve in this relationship. We are positive about why we believe in each other and that we do believe in each other. And basically, I think that fidelity is a very um, important factor because when you are cheating, you're already creating in your relationship an area of, of untruth, of lies, and you end up having to manipulate the reality in order to accommodate your desire to have sex outside the relationship. And so suddenly, you, you know, you're doing X or Y, you have to go pick up a newspaper, you forgot something at the office, whatever those excuses are that become lies to your mate, um, those begin to degrade the strength of the bond that exists between the two of you. And I think lies, you know, of, of any sort, unless you're planning a surprise party, uh, generally are, are not beneficial to any relationship. I really like how you have these just real stories that our listeners can really, I'm sure, relate to. Uh, we can. So I, it's just great. And, and to go on to our, our next question is, what do you find is the most common reason couples struggle in their relationship? Well, I think, you know, we've sort of covered it a little, which is, I think, ego. I think that, you know, thinking you know more than the other person or thinking that, and by the way, in some areas, you do know more than the other person, but that doesn't necessarily mean the person that you're married to or that you've decided to be with is such an idiot that they can't learn what you know or you can't share it in a, in a, in a good way. So, you know, the most common reasons people struggle is that they stop communicating with each other, they start holding grudges, they start looking for the butter, they start looking for the underwear, they, they're not... They're not focusing on what they have in common. They're just keeping, again, that secret, that secret anger that builds and builds and builds. And then what happens classically is, you know, if Joanne came to me and told me something like, I hate that you park on that side of the street, you know, you're blocking the space where I like to park, my instinct to that would be, oh, okay, I'll move my car. Mm -hmm. But if she never tells me about it, I'm going to leave my car there because I don't even know I'm hurting her feelings. I don't even know that I'm pissing her off. So rather than start to think, oh, it's disrespectful, he's parking in my space, it's kind of like, no, 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 we share what we're doing. Tell me what you expect, and I will respond to it. And, you know, my mother said to Joanne when we got married, men are not good at reading your mind, but they are good at following instructions. So if you tell them exactly what you want them to do, generally speaking, they're willing to accommodate that. Um, and in, you know, in the early part of our child, uh, you know, our, our being parents, I was in a very serious workaholic phase and I think I was working 10 or 12 hours a day and I would leave the house at 8.30 and I'd get home at 9.30 uh, or 10 o'clock and, you know, I would have a dinner with a client or I would have a drink with a client or I'd have a meeting that went wrong um, and that was just the way my days went. And at some point, Joanne said to me, look, you, you're, this is not working for our family. You need to be home one night a week, and you can't work every Saturday of the month. I won't want you to work one Saturday of the month, and then the rest of it's for the family. And it was like, okay, that was a reasonable request on her part, and it was a very specific instruction. Be home for dinner one night a week. So we chose Friday night would be the night that I would be home for dinner, and we 
acted upon that, and I began to love being home for dinner. So, you know, more and more, I was like, oh, I can't get a drink tonight. I'm going to go home and have dinner with my family. And that was her very smart way of teaching me how to, you know, or getting me to conform to the behavior that she was looking for me to conform to. It wasn't wishing I would come home. It wasn't wishing that I would uh, ask her how her week went. It wasn't all the things that get in the, the way of people communicating with each other when I think often women are sort of expecting men to remember that this is the fifth week of their you know, dating history, or this is the 10th time they've been to that restaurant. Men aren't conscious. I mean, I hate to be so general, but typically men aren't conscious on that level. And that it comes back to that difference between men and women. So I would say that communication is crucial. Women need to understand that men like to be instructed, not in a bossy, didactic, don't nag me kind of way, but in a, you know, sort of like, this is a suggested behavior. I think it would be nice if you followed it because it would make, you know, it would make it easier for me to put up with you. Yep. <laughs> yeah, great advice. Well, now it's time for us to go into the his and her round where Sarah and I each ask a question that's on our minds. Sarah's up first. Okay, well, my question has to do with the topic of embracing your differences. And okay. like you said, how... Sometimes men just don't understand that women are into fashion and women don't understand that men are so into sports. If a couple is having differences in that area, maybe embracing each other's differences, do you have any tips for them to maybe communicate it and and how to resolve those differences and get better at it? Well, you know, there are a couple of things that I think are very um, convincing, and so the first thing I would do is I would encourage those couples to uh, ask each other what it is they love so much about it, about that thing that sort of upsets the other. So, you know, the word I was going to give you is passion. You know, I'm passionate about playing softball. I mean, I'm not so passionate about it that I, uh, I value it above my relationship, but I love going to my softball games as much as I know my love, my wife loves to shop and to absorb fashion and to look at it. So what I would try to do is I would try to find in my mate the part of them that is the passion for what it is they do. And and then I would admire that passion because I think, you know, when people are really into something, it causes other people to sort of resonate sympathetically to it. So, you know, I, I teach a class um, in post-production about editing and sound mixing, and I end up starting that class. I'm sort of like talking about it. And then by the time I'm into the middle of the class, I like I'm talking about something I love with these people. And by the end of class, I've tried to communicate to them what I love about it so that they actually begin to love it too. So I would say that, you know, when you're talking about your differences with people, you want to you want to dip into what it is that makes you passionate about it. And you want to find out from them what makes them passionate about it. And in my case with Joanne, I was just watching her do it. And, and just the nature of the way she did it was a demonstration to me of her passion for it. And if she came to my softball game, she would see that I was in a different place. It, you know, I also play the piano. And sometimes I would sit down at the piano and my mind and my hands would drift off and I would be playing for 20 or 30 or 40 minutes and nothing else was going on in my life except what I was listening to coming out of the instrument. And at one point, Joanne said to me, I hate it when you play the piano because you go to another place and it's as if I'm not here. And I said to her, you should really appreciate that I am able to use the piano to get to that other place because that other place is one of my favorite places to be. And from that point on, she was like, I get it. I, you know, it's fine that you go and noodle on the piano. You know, she understood what was my passion and what was important to me in that pursuit. And I think that it's important for a couple to try to express to each other what it is that makes that thing so much fun or so cool for them that it is different. And sometimes it's something you can't relate to at all, um, you know, and sometimes it's something that you can get involved with. You know, we, we like to watch hockey games. My wife wasn't the least bit interested in hockey, but now she can sit there and go, oh, that's icing, oh, offside. And she knows what's going on, and it's kind of fun to watch yeah. because I've dragged her into my passion. 
So try and drag each other into your passion is my advice on that one. Great. Well, my question is you and Joanne have had such a long and and strong relationship. So to any couples out there that have been together for a while, how can they keep it fresh and exciting in their relationship? That's a really good question, Chase. You know, here we are at 36 years of marriage and basically 40 years of cohabitating, and we've just had our last child move out of the house uh, in, you know, last September. By the way, she comes home in like two or three weeks. But, you know, during this first period of empty nest, we we really sort of had to reestablish what our rhythms were and try and sort of find a way to uh, be together when there was really nothing going on. Because when you have kids, there's always something going on in the house. Somebody's coming home from school and they have this problem they want to discuss or their car needs to be fixed or whatever it is, you know, life gets very busy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maintaining the passion for me, it's been a very funny period because I've really, you know, I've really come back to sort of the things that initially attracted me to Joanne in terms of her personality, her calm, um, her flexibility, uh, you know, all of these things are, um, they're not active things that she does, you know, like, I love the way she paints, but they are things that I've always appreciated in her personality that become, uh, you know, clear to me. So what do we do? We try to do more things together uh, when we have time together. Uh, like, we'll go to a movie or we'll take a walk and we'll walk the dog, we'll do those sorts of things. And we don't you know, we, we're not changing the rhythm. We're not finding interests that are exclusive of each other. She, Joanne has had a business for 30 years in which she is a landscape designer and she still maintains that business. And I've always said throughout our relationship that it's important that each of us as individuals remember who we are as individuals and work on the things we work on individually. Um, because, you know, Children, and this is in my book, children are tenants. They move into your house and they move out of your house. And if you don't maintain your relationship, then when they move out, you and your spouse have nothing to talk about. So throughout our relationship, there have always been changes. There has always been consultation about life. We have always sort of talked about what's going on in the news. We we have the strong friendships that each of us maintains both with couples and individuals. And, you know, as, as I said earlier, Joanne doesn't harsh on me for pursuing the things I pursue in my life with regard to what I want to write about, who I want to meet with being a teacher. I meet with students all the time. And so I think the key is that you have to respect each other's individuality, but you have to understand also that you're in this relationship with somebody. And that basically means that you're going to end up doing all your stuff with them. Like, you know, I don't know, we were driving somewhere, Joanne might have needed an MRI or something, and it was like, she just looked at me and said, you know, we do all our stuff together. It's like, we, if we want to go to the market, sometimes we'll do that together. If, if she needs an MRI, I'm the guy who's going to take her for that. You know, we are each other's default caretaker, and that makes for a very sort of positive relationship. There's not a lot of, you know, I think we avoid resentment because I know that when I need her, she's going to be here for me. And when she needs me, I'm going to be there for her. Um, in our situation, there's been a lot of flexibility in terms of my job has changed. I do various things that are less secure than when I used to have a nine to five or as the case may be nine to nine job. Uh, and I was getting a salary. Now I'm doing consulting and I've written a book and I'm doing those sorts of things. So she's had to be pretty flexible about sort of what she can count on and what she can't count on um, by, and, and how much time I have for her and how much time I don't have for her. So, you know, I think that the, the key is that you have to stay in touch with each other. You have to talk about the things that are going on and try to maintain sort of a, a common interest in various things. We've binge watched a bunch of TV shows. You know, we, we have shows that we watch together. And that, you know, that is just sort of how we're keeping ourselves 
in each other's face and in each other's lives. I mean, obviously we get into the same bed every night and, you know, she puts up with the fact that I snore and, you know, the, it, it's just kind of like, as I said earlier, for every complaint I might have about her, she's probably got 10 about me. And in understanding that, we manage to live a peaceful life in our home and enjoy each other. Sometimes it's just fun for me to watch her doing stuff. It just, you know, cracks me up that she goes out in the garden and she starts messing around with the plants and she loves to do that. So I love to see her do that. I sit here and do crossword puzzles. She plays Candy Crush Saga. I don't know. It's just, you know, being able to be quiet and in the same room and know that you're loving each other. It's very interesting concept, you know, to, uh, to be able to maintain the spark in a relationship. And of course she is in good shape. Her body looks great. She keeps herself looking attractive. I try to do the same. I fight different, different demons than she does, but you know, she's always, her mother taught her that her father would go to work and he'd be surrounded by beautiful girls. And if he came home to a girl with a rag on her head who you know, was tired and didn't want to pay any attention to him, he wasn't going to be very happy at home. So Joanne has always made a point of understanding that it's important for her to be attractive for me as it's important for me to be attractive for her. So it's, again, that sort of uh, 50-50 thing, which, by the way, is more like a 90-90 thing. You you both do more than half, and you both, uh, and you can't really, you know, count it in a clock. Oh, that's a lot of great advice from, from firsthand experience. And now we're going to go into our favorite part of the interview, the lasting love round. We'll ask you a series of questions, and you'll respond with great information to help set the foundation for a lasting relationship. We love it. Our listeners love it. So, Richard, are you ready to help us build lasting love? Absolutely. All right. What's one thing couples can do on a daily basis to help improve their relationship? I think they can compliment each other, look for positives, address their concerns, and accept each other's imperfections. Is there a book or resource you could recommend for couples? Well, you know, without being so incredibly blatantly, crazily self-promotional, the fact is that most of what I've learned from my relationship I've learned from just living it. And part of my book, which is about raising children, is really about having a good relationship. So I would recommend that, you know, if you haven't had children, you can still read the first chapter of my book, which is called Setting an Example, because it's about uh, finding your values with your mate. It's about sitting down and asking. There's a questionnaire in the book that asks 20 questions about what what the way you were raised and what matters to you. And I think that that's really valuable in any relationship. And it also defines something that I call the shared adventure, which is, you know, in, in the case of the book, it's about having children. But in the case of life, it's about the relationships that you're having. It's a shared adventure. Neither one of you has been in that relationship before. Neither one of you knows what you're going to do. So you have to accept that both of you are bringing to it sort of a clean slate, no ego, we got dropped in the jungle. We each have a machete. What direction do we want to go? Let's go there together. Oops, this direction didn't work out. Well, let's try a different direction. Remain flexible. So I hate to say it, but I love to say it. They should buy my book, which is <laughs> Raising Children That Other People Like to Be Around. Well, that's great because we love new book recommendations. And so we'll have your book on your show notes page on our website at idopodcast.com. And our readers know to go there and check out that awesome recommendation. So we're getting married this year. Is there any advice you would give engaged couples or newlyweds? Yes, there are three pieces of advice that I always give them. And the first one is that marriage is not 50-50, it's 90-90. You're both doing more than half the work, and you might as well think you're doing it all the time. So when you think you're washing the dishes more often, the fact is you may be, but the fact is you may not be. And if if he's shoveling snow or doing things more often that he resents making the bed more often, the fact is that you guys trade off on what gets done, and everything that get, needs to get done gets done. So marriage is not 50-50. It's 90-90, and if you accept that you're doing more than half, I think that you'll be much happier than if you're punching a clock and counting things. 
the second piece of advice I give newlyweds is that you are your own family now. Once you get married, you become your own family. The decisions you make with each other are independent of the decisions that you think your parents would be making for you or that your friends think are important. You want to buy a house, it seems to be the right house for the two of you, make that decision together. Whether or not your parents agree, whether or not your friends agree, you're the only two that you're going to end up relying on in the long run for that decision making. And then the third thing I always say is a little bit of a cliche, but, you know, I really say this to Chase, and that is, uh, you know, if you and Sarah have a disagreement, it's really important that you always have the last word. And that's why when Joanne and I have disagreements, they always end when I say, yes, dear. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, those are my three pieces of wedding advice, generally speaking. Perfect. Well, if you could boil it down and give just one piece of advice for a successful relationship, what would it be? It would be to care as much about your mate as you do about yourself. To consider your mate from inside your own head and say, why is my mate doing this? Why does this, how will this make my mate feel? Because that's important to me, as important to me as how I feel myself. So, Try to picture what you're doing in the relationship from the point of view of the other person in the relationship and, you know, apply the golden rule. Treat your mate the way you want to be treated. And that way you you eliminate a bunch of ridiculous arguments that are generally ego motivated. Well, Richard, we've really enjoyed hearing all the advice you've given us and our listeners today. So let's finish by you telling our listeners where they can find you, and then we'll say goodbye. Okie dokie. So um, I have a blog that's called Common Sense Dad, all one word, www.commonsensedad. And I'm also on Twitter as Common Sense Dad, and I'm also on Instagram as Common Sense Dad. Um, and then on Facebook, I have a Facebook fan page that is Common Sense Dad, three words. So um, it's really my pleasure. I try and write a blog once a week, uh, and they're all about different things and, you know, ranging from the empty nest to what a wimpy parent might be. But there's always information in the blog that has to do with relationships uh, generally between men and women and and people who love each other and and how to overcome those obstacles of selfishness and ego. Well, our listeners can find all the information and links of today's episode on idopodcast.com. Go to the podcast tab and you'll be in the archives. And thank you so much for all the generous knowledge and for taking the time to come on our show today. Well, thank both you guys. I wish you the best of luck. Are you interested in learning five ways to improve your relationship on a daily basis? How about five tips for engaged couples or newlyweds? This information and more is our free gift to you when you go to idopodcast.com and subscribe to our mailing list. Thank you so much for joining us today on I Do Podcast. Head on over to idopodcast.com for full recaps of every show, relationship resources, tips, and advice. Your path to a successful and lasting relationship awaits you. Are you ready to create lasting love? listening to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com